Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, professor and licensed therapist. It's just me with a special guest today, Shannon McFarlane. She was a, or is a former student of mine from Antioch, and she is now in private practice in Seattle, Westlake Union, right? Yep, yep. She is a, an accomplished couples therapist and individual adult therapist. She is featured every week. Every other week. Every other week on Q13 here in Seattle, which is the Fox affiliate, on the local news show where she talks about couples advice, advice that she gives out to couples. It's quite impressive. She's live there right behind the desk with the anchors, <laughs> and it uh, gives very cogent, well-spoken advice. If I were in her shoes Nothing would come out of my mouth because as soon as the cameras went on, I would freak. But welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you. I was talking with her, and she and I, for some reason, got on the topic of the recent Gwyneth Paltrow conscious uncoupling thing. For some reason, we started talking about it. Do you remember why we started talking about it? Yeah, because I was fired up, and I came in, and I said, I have an idea for your podcast. Oh, okay. So there you go. And then I said, yeah, actually, that would be a great thing to talk about on the podcast. And then we were talking about it, and I was like, wait a second. Do you want to be on the podcast? And you said, yes. And then I thought, why haven't I never asked you to be on the podcast before? Then I said, well, why don't you look up some stuff and help me out because I'm preparing for a bunch of other podcasts this week. And normally when I say that, Mm -hmm. what happens is – I get no response. I get nothing back from anybody. They just show up at my door. We record a podcast as if nothing had happened. But but I've just gotten used to that. You know, it's sort of like when you make plans with someone who's always late. You just always know they're going to be a half hour late. Right. Well, I just figure I'm the only one on the planet who actually prepares for podcasts because I'm the only one that's like anal or OCD or weird in that way. Mm-hmm. But I said that to you and I thought, yeah, it'll never happen because it never happens. A couple of days later, Shannon send, sends me this I don't know, five-page, well-researched, well-quoted, well-cited outline on the topic of Gwyneth Paltrow and conscious uncoupling, and I was like blown away, and I thought, man, I should have her on the show all the time, because then I don't have to do any of that work myself anymore. (laughs) Right. So let's talk about conscious uncoupling and Gwyneth Paltrow. What do you say? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. What happened is on March 25th, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin announced their separation on their lifestyle blog, goop.com. They have a lifestyle blog. Right. Called goop.com. Right. Paltrow and Mm -hmm. Chris Martin. Chris Martin is the singer from Coldplay. Right. 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 And I think it's really hers. I mean, she's on there like making recommendations for Christmas gifts and recipes and things like that. She gets a lot of criticism for it, though. Criticism for the website? Mm Mm-hmm. Because... Because she'll recommend like a $400 onesie. Oh. And so people don't like that. I see. Okay. (laughs) But that's where they decided. So she has a blog on that website. How long have they been together? Do you know? Yes, 11 years. Do they, and they have kids? They have two kids, Apple and Moses. Then suddenly they posted on Goop the following quote. It is with hearts full of sadness that we have decided to separate. We have been working hard for well over a year, some of it together, some of it separated, to see what might have been possible between us. And we have come to the conclusion that while we love each other very much, we will remain separate. We are, however, and always will be a family, and in many ways we are closer than we have ever been. We are parents first and foremost 
to two incredibly wonderful children, and we ask for their and our space and privacy to be respected at this difficult time. We have always conducted our relationship privately, and we hope that as we consciously uncouple and co-parent, we will be able to continue in the same manner. Basically, like it's a press release or something, right? Kind of. I mean, it's, I guess, just the way they decided to announce it. Or a blog or yeah. something. And Gwyneth Paltrow is one of those people who is on People Magazine and all the right. tabloids. World's Most Beautiful Woman. Yeah. I mean, she she's a famous person that, for whatever reason, gets focused on mm-hmm. f- right. from the media. Right. I mean, there are famous people that, for whatever reason, just don't get focused on, but she's one mm-hmm. of those people. Okay. So before we comment mm-hmm. on that blog post that Gwyneth put out, what could we say about the history of this term uncoupling. You, you found some information. Yeah, I did, because um, a lot of the criticism that she was getting was, you know, what is this term? And she's made up this term. And actually, so I started looking into it, and she didn't actually coin that term, conscious uncoupling. Looking back to all the way to 1942, the word uncoupling tended to refer to the detachment of inanimate things such as railroad cars. But then it did actually, the term did make it into the American thesaurus of slang in 1942 as well. And they said um, uncoupling was a synonym for getting a divorce. So that's pretty amazing. Uncoupling all the way back to 42 was used in the States to refer to breaking up and divorcing. Right. Yeah, I mean, to couple and to uncouple in mechanical senses, there's like a coupler. You know, you can get right. you can get couplers like in plumbing or in electronics and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it couples two things together. Mm-hmm. So so you can uncouple something. Right. Yeah. Like people. Like people. <laughs> <laughs> Was that gross? Did you just did no, you just make I, a gross thing? I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so then it looks like here, I'm, lo- I'm looking at your awesome outline here, so it looks like something in 1976 came up. Right, so there's a sociologist, Diane Vaughn, who formulated uncoupling theory. And in 1986, she published uh, a paper called Uncoupling, and I don't know if this is a paper or a book, actually. Um, it's called Uncoupling, Turning Points in Intimate Relationships. So now she, you know, we're starting to see it being used in that context, right? And she says her inspiration came from a divorced mechanic who used uncoupling to explain when a relationship ends. It's like when a locomotive uncouples from a car. One can let go, the other can let go, or they can let go at the same time. I think many people have seen two trains when they couple when they come together they latch onto each other right and what this person was telling this sociologist diane vaughn uh he was saying that in it with two train cars one can let go of one Mm -hmm. while the other one's still holding on and it'll uncouple Mm -hmm. while the other one can let go and the other you know or they can both let go at the same time either way it's uncoupling which you know is a apt analogy to divorce where one person can divorce while the other person doesn't want to and you're still Mm -hmm. divorcing Mm -hmm. or both people can decide Mm -hmm. to divorce. And in the title of the book or the paper or whatever, we see in 86, uncoupling turning points in intimate relationships. So all the way back in 86, we have this example of this idea that it's not uncoupling the end of a relationship. It's it's turning points Mm -hmm. in an in intimate relationships. So it's a, a turning point, not the end. Mm-hmm. So right here we have an example of someone that's saying it doesn't have to be an abrupt ending. Mm-hmm. It's just a turning point. Yeah. So in 2006, we have a counselor, Catherine Clements, and she was at Massey or Macy, not sure how you pronounce it, University in New Zealand. And they say that she may have been the first to couple conscious with uncoupling. And she prepared a research report on how separation rituals could facilitate conscious uncoupling. So in 06, which is 
recent times, a counselor in New Zealand may have been the first in some sort of writing to use the term conscious uncoupling as a way to formalize rituals that could help people to divorce in ways that might be more satisfactory than ways that are commonly done in in New Zealand culture. In 09, it makes its way to the States. And um, they say the phrase was coined independently in the U.S. in a talk between marriage therapist Catherine Woodward Thomas and her friend, filmmaker Kit Thomas, as they commiserated over their divorces to describe the new paradigm for breaking up in kind, cooperative, and respectful ways. I think that's interesting, too. So it goes from, like, you know, trains <laughs> to sociologists to a counselor and then finally makes its way to a marriage therapist, you know, using it to describe trauma-free divorce. I don't know how that's possible, but um, <laughs> it's a nice try. Yeah, she owns a website, ConsciousUncoupling.com, where you can go and take a class. Right. So these two people, a therapist and a friend, were commiserating about how horrible their divorces were, right? Right. Talking about how traumatic it was, Mm -hmm. presumably. And they wanted to introduce a new paradigm of conscious uncoupling, meaning how can people break up in kind, cooperative, and respectful ways? Why does divorce have to be this very adversarial, uncooperative, disrespectful process, as it often can be. Mm -hmm. There were two people on Gwyneth Paltrow's website that she kind of allows to, I guess, explain conscious uncoupling and what they're doing um, on her behalf. And it's Dr. Habib Sadegi, as I'm guessing, a a holistic doctor, and Dr. Sherry Sammy, who is a dentist. They give a pretty lengthy explanation about, you know, that it's okay that, that Gwyneth and Chris are breaking up because life expectancy is so much shorter than it used to be. And we, we live too long to have only one relationship now. So we should expect to have two or three significant long-term relationships. They also bring up the idea of projection. And they say that eventually, you know, we're attracted to people that have qualities that we lack in ourselves. And so eventually those things are going to drive us crazy and we're going to want to break up. And so we can do that. If we can be conscious about that, we can gracefully disengage when it happens, you know, thank the other person for being our teacher, and then go on with our lives. They've received some criticism in the media, though, because they a lot of people say they're not qualified to give this advice, that they're not psychologists or therapists. Uh, So that's interesting. But I, I just wonder, I just wonder about that explanation, like, regardless of who said it, I started thinking as I was writing this up, if you're that conscious, could you just realize what's happening and work your way through it? Or do you have to actually break up? It seems like if you're going to be that conscious, maybe you can figure things out. Because part of the reason relationships go south is because we're unconscious in them a lot. Right. Yeah, there's a number of issues here in terms of what they're saying. I mean, the overall point I agree with in that, why can't we develop protocols for divorce that are more beneficial for everybody? Right. I do too. We certainly have a lot of protocols around coupling, Mm -hmm. around dating, around asking someone to get married, around marriage, around having children, around living together, around, you know, there's, there's a lot of culture and a lot of guidance around how to do all that. It's in movies. People have done it before. There's advice, you know, there's TV shows. That are, but in terms of how to divorce well, there isn't hardly anything out there in terms of how to do that. And so this doctor, this holistic doctor and this dentist are trying to explain this a little bit. So that I, I totally agree with. But their points, I think, have some issues. One of their points here is that they say projection. And they're actually not using the term projection very well. 
yeah, I mean, the idea that we search for people through projective identification to embody our unwanted aspects of ourself and then fight with those things externally when, in fact, it originated from an internal conflict between one side of us that, that is wanting to be not that way and one part of us that is that way. Like, for instance, if I have an internal critical nature that I've internalized from my childhood, but I'm in denial of it because I don't like to be critical. I don't like to think of myself as critical because that's painful to acknowledge to myself. I might find someone that's critical and project all my critical nature onto them and then criticize them being critical of me. Right. And then re ultimately reject them for it. Right. And in the beginning of the relationship, really feel a lot of love and attraction for that person because they are making my projective identification, my defensive mechanism, easier to accomplish by embodying something that I'm trying to deny in me. And then as the years go on, that criticalness behavior, that critical behavior from my partner slowly wears me down and I fight with it more and more and it becomes something that I resent and something that ultimately makes me want to break up with that person. So they're, they're pointing that out in kind of a weird way right, they're explaining right. that process. But you're saying that's not a reason to say we should have many different relationships. You're saying, right. why can't you work on that either in therapy or not in therapy to improve your relationship? We don't have to just say, everyone does this, therefore all relationships are doomed. <laughs> right? right. I mean, that, yeah. that seems like a, a funny point to make. I mean, it seems more cogent just to say that when people divorce, because people do, why can't it just be a more beneficial, less harmful process than the way it often is. But I think that's the only point you have to make. Right. Uh, because people right. are going to get divorced either way mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And can we as clinicians and as a culture help in some way? Right. I, I mean, I thought it was actually, I thought it was kind of weird. There are two arguments, life expectancy. I mean, that just seemed like they were trying to use two different ways to explain what might have happened with Chris and Gwyneth. Instead of saying what you just said more eloquently is, you know, they just wanted to end their marriage in a amicable, um, kind, respectful way. I mean, I don't even know, like, what what does projection have to do with it? It's completely out of context here, actually, because, they, you know, they don't talk about, well, Gwyneth started to hate the fact that Chris was this way or that way. I mean, right. it seems irrelevant. It's a holistic doctor and a dentist saying stuff. Yeah, saying stuff. Yeah, all right. So then you <laughs> took some notes on reactions. Yeah, I found that they fell basically into two areas. So it, most of the criticism that I saw in the media was criticism, just that. The announcement was pretentious, high-minded, ridiculous psychobabble. And then the other side of that was a couple people did go on record of, of saying it was admirable and did a really nice job of explaining why. It seems like most people thought it was dumb. Yeah, most people thought it was dumb. She's consciously uncoupling. That's ridiculous. You know, I, I read stuff or heard people saying that they thought it was, yeah, pretentious. Mm -hmm. Just another example of Gwyneth being... High-minded, holier than thou. Yeah, holier than thou. She thinks she's superior. Right. She doesn't just divorce like low people do. Mm -hmm. She consciously uncouples. Right. From my point of view, I was surprised at how much mirth there was mm -hmm. around what she had said. You know, some people, there was one that said, oh, it's just um, something she made up to soften the blow, something to fit within her fancy lifestyle brand's aesthetic. Someone else said, calling something by another name doesn't change what it is. It's pretentious, misleading, and disingenuous, which, I don't know, how is it misleading? That doesn't make any sense to me. And disingenuous, who are you to decide that? That's how she, you know, that's her being genuine. That's just my 
my two cents. Um, someone else said, by contorting and misaligning words to fit eccentric meanings, we obscure rather than explain what we're trying to communicate, which I think that sentence also did that. <laughs> and then uh, life isn't easy for anybody and divorce is always hard, but it's still probably easier if you're brave enough to spell it out. So, I mean, all of these, you know, you can you can hear it. There's a lot of judgment in it. She wasn't, I'm hearing she wasn't brave enough to say it, that she was misleading the public, that she was disingenuous and pretentious. So yeah, that was mostly, I think, what I read in the media. Right. It's it's very interesting quotes uh, mm-hmm. that you have here. So one person on CNN, cute little header she made up to soften the blow, something to fit within her fancy lifestyle brand's aesthetic. So it's a very interesting thing to say. First off, they're accusing her of making it up, which she didn't. Right. The other thing is, is they're saying that it's, you know, they're saying a cute little header. And I just think that's very interesting way of looking at it. It's, it's like, if she uses any other word besides divorce, somehow it's a cute little header. The thing is, is like, she could have said divorce, or she could have said amicable divorce Mm -hmm. or something, Mm -hmm. or or, where, but the word, but I was thinking about it and the word divorce has a lot of meanings with it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just what it you know, le- means legally speaking, but it but it also typically paints a picture of contentiousness, right? Mm-hmm. If that's a word. Mm-hmm. If you just say a man and a woman, they go through a divorce or they're divorcing right now. I think often people, it would conjure up an image of people that were adversarial, that were upset at each other, that mm-hmm. were angry, resentful, not talking, it, lawyers and fighting over money and, and all that kind of stuff. And so because of our history with that word, I could see why Gwyneth would want to divorce with the word divorce. Right. So just to take the side of these people for a second. Sure. Because I actually know someone that's close to me that I think might actually be in this camp. And I'm trying to imagine him saying these things, and I, and I can. And I'm trying to imagine why he would say these things, because he said these sorts of things before. And although I often disagree with him, I, th- I think that it has to do with potentially this thing that's happening in our culture that I don't think is talked about very much, where well-educated people like ourselves, city folk people like ourselves, will often invent new words or try to change culture a little bit, try to move us in a direction in, with our culture, right? And it's sort of like how right now, in a good way, we're saying, how do you identify gender-wise? There can be what traditionally were called men. We allow them now in liberal, educated circles to call themselves women, for them to say, I want you to refer to me as her and she. And in our circle, we allow for that because we want people to be able to choose for themselves what gender they're treated as and why should society make someone into a gender that they don't want to be. So that's just one example of the various ways that educated, liberal city folk tend to change things. Well, if you're a conservative, rural, non-city folk person, you can imagine how this would be difficult particularly because they're not given the backstory. You know, they're just told, hey, you need to stop doing X, Y, or Z. You need to stop using that word. And I think there's this backlash from the, those people that haven't been exposed to the progression or are judged, you know, like will look down, oh, you're a bigot. You're calling this person this name. I mean, I'll give you a personal example. I grew up always using the word midget. Apparently that's a bad word. 
right? Right. I have no idea that was a bad word until I was actually on the internet in like 2002 or something. And I like ventured off and went on this forum and I started like, it wasn't a little person forum. It was like, it was like a gaming forum or something. And I decided to chime in with something and I used the word midget. I can't remember why I used the word midget. It wasn't derogatory. <laughs> it was, it would actually, I could go into the details, but anyway. One of the game characters, maybe. Yeah, it had to, well, <laughs> I, I feel like I have to go into the details now because people would be like, why are you talking <laughs> right, about midget? Right. It, I, I played Dungeons and Dragons, and people were saying, what if you had a midget as a character? Would they have the same stats as a hobbit or a halfling is what they call them in Dungeons and Dragons? Mm-hmm. Or would they have different a different set of rules that govern their character and that kind of thing? So anyway, so I, so I chimed in and I said the word midget in my, resp- in my reply. And someone flamed me. They jumped down my throat and said, you bigot. No one – midgets are bad. It's, we call them little people now. I was horrified that I had unknowingly used a bigoted, horrible word. And I was very angry at the person that was angry at me because I didn't know. No one had told me. And I'm not backwater. So I'm in the middle of Seattle, like political correctness central. And somehow I just hadn't heard yet for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And I just thought – Man, fuck you. Like how I just didn't know all you had to do was say by the way, the word midget is no longer accepted. Right. We now use the phrase blah blah blah. You know, and I would have been like, "Oh my god, thanks for saying that." But instead mm-hmm. he jumps down my throat. Well, mm-hmm. so times that times 100 to people that don't live in liberal central and political correctness central. And and I can imagine like this person that I know close to me has a general sensitivity and anger about political correctness and this conscious uncoupling rings of that political correctness vibe. Do you know what I mean? It does. But as you're describing this, I'm also wondering, is it are are people that are not like us, I guess, are they reacting to it because they don't understand it? And so since they don't understand it, they feel stupid or something? I think that's potentially a part of it. I mean, we're speculating Mm -hmm. right now. But I think that's part of it. Right. Because if they understood the premise or they had heard it before, Mm -hmm. I think, right, I think they would probably react differently. Mm Mm-hmm. They've just been bombarded with political correctness, and Mm. they hate it now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard this story, but it was a national news story or international news story that in Seattle, there was a movement to stop calling brown bag lunches, brown bag lunches. Did you ever (laughs) hear this? Yes, I did. Okay. So the person that's close to me that hates political correctness used this example with me. He said, you can't even say the word brown bag anymore because he was trying to argue with me saying that like the world's out of control, essentially, Mm -hmm, that political mm -hmm. correctness is out of control. And I said, uh, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you know, in Seattle, some company said they can no longer call brown bag lunches brown bag lunches because that's racist. And I just thought, who is telling you this? (laughs) Because there's a whole section of people, I think, that just see us, you and me, Shannon, as these idiots, you know, mm-hmm. and so when another when another phrase comes along, yet just another, it's just like brown bag lunch, that conscious uncoupling. <laughs> it's just another example, and I'm gonna lay into it just because it's mm-hmm. you know those liberals are stupid. We need to take back the night. <laughs> we need to take back our language and keep it the same. You know, we need to keep everything the same. And so I think that's essentially how people feel about it. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. just speculation. Though. 
Yeah. Well, that's a, a big part of the country because that's what most people are saying right. <laughs> about this. So I also speculate that people are just jealous of Gwyneth Paltrow for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know until you and other people have told me recently that Gwyneth Paltrow has been criticized or slammed for many things she said, right? Right. Yeah. She said some things that have been called ridiculous in the media. Right. So. Like what kinds of things? I am who I am. I can't pretend to be somebody who makes 25000 a year. Do you know the context of that, of what she was saying there? No. And that's part of the problem. I mean, they pull these quotes out and then they just use them. I, I have no idea about the context of that. Right. Another one was, I would rather die than let my kid eat a cup of soup. <laughs> I would rather die than let my kid eat a cup of soup. Right. I mean, on one hand, if you look at it from a classist point of view, yeah. she's being classist. Right. Uh, another point of view is that I'm pretty sure she's like a uber health nut. Right. right? Like she, she has that cookbook and she's like crazy mm-hmm. about I mean, from my st- – because right. I'll eat anything. Mm-hmm. I eat spam for crying out loud as a Japanese-American person. So I'll apparently eat anything. So to me, her regimen is very crazy. So that could be a statement on that, right? That, right. That cup of noodles has probably everything that she hates in it. Right. Whether it costs – 25 cents or mm-hmm. $25, she mm-hmm. she would say, I'd rather die than let my kid eat those ingredients. So it's hard to tell what right. she's saying. Yeah. I mean, sure, of course, that's classes to say that. And, you know, she could have been more thoughtful if she actually did say that. I mean, I don't even know if any of this is true, right? But if she actually did say that, she could have been more thoughtful about saying that. So, I mean, I think most of the comments fall into that kind of the classist um, category because, you know, about her income. That right. She- well, didn't you give an example to me on or off microphone about a $400 onesie? Yeah, during this podcast. Like, okay. So, yeah, she's been criticized for, for things like that on her website. She'll right. say, hey, this is the best onesie in the world. And, you know, I don't know if it was actually a onesie, but she'll recommend maybe it was a tank top, but it was $400. Right. <laughs> and so kind of being out of touch with that, not everybody can afford that. That's right. kind of the argument for that. Right. right. I wonder if... She would be judged as much if she were a man or if she were portly and overweight. For some reason, people really, really grab onto the things that she says. I don't know why she's such a polarizing figure. Do you? I don't. As a woman yourself, Mm -hmm. can you see her aggravating women? Because to me, anecdotally, it's a lot of women that are slamming her. Right. I don't know. Like, I I think it's hard for me as a woman. I mean, I am a woman, yes. Um, But I get really upset when people are so judgmental about other people that they don't know anything about. And I I just think everybody should just be able to be themselves and make their announcements the way they want to. And why why are people reacting the way they're reacting? I mean, what is that about? To me, that just seems kind of, it's just none of our business. As far as like what I think of Gwyneth Paltrow, I do actually, I am one of the minority. I do like her. She makes me laugh in movies and maybe that's just, maybe I'm shallow. I don't know. But (laughs) I, I don't know. I'm not offended by her. I think everybody says stupid stuff over the course of their lifetime, including me, including you. Everybody says stupid things, right? And so sometimes when I read some of these things that she says, I think, oh, Gwyneth, you know, that probably wasn't such a great idea. But I don't hate her for it. I just think that's too bad. That's really too bad that the media caught that one. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we're just not always, we can't be perfect and self-aware in every moment. Yeah. You remind me of some of the Kanye West lovers that I know. Whenever Kanye West says something crazy, I always go to one of my friends and say, okay, so now do you see why people think he's so crazy? 
And he says, no, no. But actually, just recently, he, he seems to have turned a corner. He's like, oh, I can't. I can't, I can't <laughs> right. defend the guy anymore. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I thought about was what other words can we use? Right. What so, are the alternatives? Yeah. So you have divorce, mm-hmm. which is, you know, there. But, it, you know, as I said, comes with a certain amount of connotation. So what other words can we use? If, if you could use amicable divorce, right. I think that would be sufficient. I, I don't know why she didn't just use amicable mm-hmm. divorce. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you think about it, amicable divorce is not the same. So amicable divorce means you got along okay during the process. Like yeah. uh, there wasn't too much damage done. But conscious uncoupling as a term almost, I mean, it, it does mean something different to me. It means they actually thought about what they need in their life as people in a relationship and they weren't getting it in this relationship. Right. Like that, it's more about the reason why they broke up versus right. we just did it nicely, amicably. To me, I just think this is wonderful stuff. I think the reason why it seems so foreign to conservative people, and I'm not meaning... Republicans per se, but I'm just saying people that aren't progressive and or don't like things to change. I think the reason why it's so foreign is because divorce was a very, and still is, a very shameful thing. Mm-hmm. And so people won't even tell people they're getting divorced. Right. I mean, when you get engaged, you announce it to Facebook. the world and Facebook. <laughs> and But when you get divorced, it's like, you know, right. how long can I not tell people? Mm-hmm. How, what's the longest amount of time I can wait before I have to tell my parents? Mm-hmm. So it's a very shameful thing. It's humiliating. So therefore, people just try to ignore it. And I'll just extend this to just breaking up with people. And it's been a shtick of mine for a long time that I wish in our culture people actually, whatever you call it, had several conversations around breaking up. You know, oftentimes the breakup conversation is this traumatic, like, short event that happens once. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, you know, fuck that, you know, guy and fuck that bitch. And I'm not going to talk to them and we're done. And I, you know, I'm not going to talk to that person. And then you just build resentments. You have all sorts of questions. You start making up your own story, your own narrative of the breakup and of the relationship. Whereas if you could talk and then have express your feelings and go back to your corners and a month later come back and talk and I don't understand was was the relationship all a sham what did you ever love me the other person of course I loved you but at the end I didn't love you in that way but yes for 20 years I definitely loved you but it, it started to die off in the last couple of years that's why I was so distant oh, okay so the whole relationship wasn't a sham it was just the last two years I think that's a lot more palatable than what I had in my head, which was the whole relationship was a big sham and you never loved me because I'm not a lovable person. Well, and you hear people say that. I see that in, in books and in movies. I never loved you. I mean, why would you say that? You you never loved – really? Yeah. <laughs> then, then you're stupid for right. having married that person because <laughs> right. why would you do that? It's such a weird thing that that's what they have to make it about to justify their leaving. Well, and I think some people might even say that as a result of having so much negativity around breaking up. Mm-hmm. Right. There's so many negative things that get thrown across because of the hurt that everyone feels Mm -hmm. and the fear that everyone has. They end up striking out at each other. And then things are said like, I never loved you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wonder how many people actually believe that to be true. I know. You know, I can imagine someone being reactive and upset and Mm -hmm. saying that out of reaction. But if they really thought about it, they would say, well, it's not really 
true. Right. But think how damaging it is. I mean, I actually know people who have had that said to them and they, I mean, really throws you for a loop. So was the last 10 years just a lie? Was I, you know, was it a fake relationship? What was happening? And so you really question at least then you can't even preserve those memories. I mean, so if you had a conscious uncoupling experience, if these people Mm -hmm. did, then they're presumably, I don't know, but, and I don't know if in conscious, maybe in conscious uncoupling, it's like, I'm consciously telling you that I never loved you. I don't, I don't know. I have no yeah. idea. I've, I don't want to defend conscious uncoupling as a, as a practice. Maybe you should take the course just to see. Yeah, I should. <laughs> but the idea of breaking up amicably anyway, or mm-hmm. being conscious about how you're doing it and intentional mm-hmm. about how you're doing it, you could address that. Something is said, you regret it. The hurt person goes, you said you never loved me. That doesn't make any sense. And the other person says, yeah, I know. I said that. I didn't really mean it. I'm sorry I said that. You were just really bugging me in that moment, and I said something out of passion. So I'm a big proponent of this. Couples therapists like Shannon McFarlane on West, West Seattle or on Westlake <laughs> West West Lake. Lake Union can help with uncoupling or divorce, divorcing amicably, right? Right, yeah. right. I mean, I do something called discernment counseling. Tell us about that. You've heard about that. Um, so what that is, is it's not it's not even really therapy. It's between one and five sessions. And you come in and you basically, they're two-hour sessions. I spend 20 minutes with each individual. And then we spend some time together. And what we talk through is what does it look like? So it's, it's for couples who aren't really sure. Maybe they have a mixed agenda. One of them wants out. One of them doesn't. Or they both know it's not working and they just don't know. They're not sure. So it's this format. Yeah. There's a format to this type of therapy. And so you actually say, what does it look like if you, you know, if you move out, where are you going to move? Okay, what does it look like for the kids? And what does it look like financially? And how do you think you got here? And is there anything that you think you could have done differently or you wished you would have done differently? Or is there anything that matters now? So it really gets people to kind of think through some of these questions to imagine what their life might be like if they do split up. And sometimes just by going through that exercise, they think, well, you know, I don't really, I can't really envision a future without you. Let's try and figure this out. Or in the process of discovering how they got to that place, often it's couples who have just grown apart. And that's why they can't decide because they still do love each other. But you know, maybe they've grown apart. So it's very effective. So it's usually one to five sessions. And then at the end, they have a choice to make. And that is either commit to six months of couples therapy with um, separating off the table. So they don't talk about that anymore and they just work on the relationship or they can decide to split up and I can help them do that in an amicable way Mm -hmm. or they can just keep going as if, you know, go back to what they were doing. So you're saying that often people upon exploring what it would look like to divorce, where they would live, what the kid arrangement would be, the splitting of the assets, that couples actually think, oh, I... I actually don't want that. I want to stay together. Right. Because I think some people have this fantasy of like, oh my gosh, it's going to be great. I'm going to live alone, eat pizza every night. You know, I can go to bed whatever time I want. And they, you know, this fantasy of just having alone time or seeing their friends more or whatever it is they want to do, but they don't think about the reality of it. And okay, what this means is I'm going to be a weekend dad or, you know, I'm going to have to move into some shitty little apartment because we can't afford both of us to have nice places anymore. Conversely, when Mm -hmm. you run this scenario or this thought exercise. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, there are a lot of people that will say, yeah, sign me up mm-hmm. because I, I'm actually working with a client right now that that happened with. It's very interesting to talk with people because a lot of people come into therapy, at least to my office, to talk about discernment, to talk about whether or not they want to be in a relationship or not. And I just find it very f- 
interesting. I just find it fascinating to explore that issue with people because I don't have any vested interest as a therapist whether or not they stay or go. It's very interesting to see what people commonly will react to. Like one of the things that I'll say just as a way of giving them something to think about, can you see yourself living with your partner the way that they are right now for the rest of your life? And you'll find, I find, that when someone is in a relationship, both feet, but upset, they'll say, well, yeah, I really wish they would change these things. But yeah, I could see being with this person the rest of my life. I could see that. And then if you ask someone who has one or most of both feet out the door, in their heart anyway, they'll say, absolutely not. I do not want to live with that person the way they are right now for the rest of my life. No way. That is not acceptable. I mean, you'll just hear it, you know, Mm -hmm. in their voice. No, no. They've got to change in drastic ways for me to want to spend the rest of my life with them. Absolutely. So, you know, that's to me, and I don't, and I don't say to them, well, therefore you should break up or anything. Mm -hmm. I just, I just say, I just let them listen to themselves answer the question. Right. And then they walk out and say, well, I guess I just answered that. Right. (laughs) Or or I'll say, wow, that that really says a lot what you're saying Mm -hmm. right there. I think that's the benefit of talking to a therapist about it because it's not your friend. It's not somebody who who has this vested interest in you as much as, I mean, of course, we have a vested interest in our clients. But for us, they can do whatever they want and that's okay. And um, so they actually get to just talk through it with somebody in a different way, I think. Yeah. In my head, I was thinking, what do friends and family usually do? And I was thinking, they usually encourage people to break up. But then I was actually thinking, no, there's a lot of examples I've heard from clients where they talk to people they know, and they all encourage them not to break up. Mm -hmm. There always seems to be a bias. Mm -hmm. Whatever you talk to your sister or your friend, there's always a bias that they'll have. You know, Mm -hmm. it's very uncommon. It happens Mm -hmm. to find someone in your life that when you talk about a dilemma like this, they'll be like, well, wow, that sounds really tough. What, you know, what do you want to do? It's, you know, right. I, I could see you being with the person. I could see you breaking up. I could, I really see the dilemma. No, most people are like, wow, you should dump that asshole. Right. <laughs> what are you doing? Or they say, ah, you know, marriage, it's, it's work. You got to make it work. So, right. you know, I think you're being a little overcritical. Just, you know, so it seems like there's always that tendency and i've always wondered why people i think it's i think it's because in general when you hear about someone's problem you want to solve it you know you want there to be a solution so i see here on the outline that you have a quote from gwyneth about what she has to say about her image right was this in response to the conscious uncoupling or was it from before this? no this is from before this <laughs> okay yeah who knows what she has to say now but maybe it's just ditto <laughs> um but I, I liked what she said, actually, uh, maybe because it sounds very psychological. But um, she says, people project a lot of stuff onto me. It's nothing to do with me. I don't read stuff about myself. I feel like it's none of my business. People perceive that I have too much. I understand that. But I also feel like I've suffered so much. It's not something I talk about. I don't have a perfect life. I don't have a perfect anything. I have incredible struggles, and I'm far from perfect. I struggle like every other woman, every other mother. I understand that things look a certain way. So I like that because, you know, she is showing some vulnerability there. And also, you know, she's taking that attitude of it's none of my business what other people think of me. And that's true. And people do project stuff on to each other. Yeah, I think the last line really is the most poignant to me. She says, I understand that things look a certain way. Mm -hmm. 
she knows that to typical Americans that she seems like she's all put together, mm -hmm. everything's perfect, she can do no wrong, she always knows the right thing to do, she has a ton of money, she has these perfect little kids named Apple and Moses. And Moses. <laughs> but, you know, people laugh. I remember when they named their kid Apple, I remember people laughing about that. But come on, people, like Americans everywhere of every strata or from every walk of life are naming their kids interesting things these mm -hmm. days, you know. True. They, be, they eventually all become normal. Right. I remember the first time I heard of a little girl named Mackenzie, and I thought, what parent would name their child Mackenzie? <laughs> there are millions of Mackenzies walking around. Yes, there Probably are. in high school at this point. Yeah. Names are names, and they all eventually... Yeah, and I think she's basically saying, you know, I, you, yeah, you guys don't know my dirty laundry. We, I get to keep that out of the media. Unfortunately, all, you know, all you get to see is this perfect put-together actress. So keep your opinions to yourself. You don't know me. Yeah. Right. I, I think that... In, in the spectrum of responses along these lines, this is one of the least offensive responses mm -hmm. I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you'll – like Kanye West, for instance, when there's a response to negative media, there can be a lot of – you know, she could have easily said something like, you don't know me. Mm -hmm. you know, How dare you criticize my life? I don't know what it's like to be a lowly, unfamous person. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the other lens I've been looking at this through this week is through the lens of vulnerability. I don't know if you know who Brene Brown is. She did this amazing TED Talk on the power of vulnerability, and also she's a shame researcher in Houston, Texas. And so she was here in Seattle this week, and she did a show on Creative Live, and she was talking about vulnerability and creativity. In that discussion, someone asked her, what do you do about when you get feedback? So we're all these creatives in the audience, and we would like to know, you know, we're getting feedback on our work all the time at work from our teams, or, you know, what do you do when you, you put yourself out there and you write these books or you speak, and then, you know, people just slam you? How do you manage that? And she just said she has a post-it note she carries around in her wallet. There's exactly eight people on it who she really cares about their opinions. Oh. And so she said she will just look at that note and she'll say the person isn't on this paper, so I'm not going to worry about it. But really what I wanted to say was she shared this great Theodore Roosevelt quote about, and I'm not going to do it justice at all, but basically it's like if you aren't putting your, yourself out there in the ring every day like I am, then you don't get to criticize you know, basically, I'm putting myself out there. You put yourself out there, too. And then we can talk about what you think and, and what I think of you and all of that. But if you're just going to sit on the sidelines and criticize, criticize people. A local podcaster, Luke Burbank, will say to people when they criticize him, he says, how's your podcast going? <laughs> right. Just like that. Perfect. <laughs> and so I think about that with Gwyneth Paltrow. Like she put herself out there on her blog, made the announcement in the way she needed to make it. You know, we all put ourselves out there in the world. And so... Everybody else is just sitting at home reading People Magazine and criticizing her. Well, that's a good technique. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put a post-it post note in my <laughs> wallet of people that I respect their opinion and everyone right. else I'm going to completely ignore. Right. All right, Shannon. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I thought this was pretty good. You bet. I had a great time. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us. And please take care of yourself. Bye.